Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Damien Pledham will join us to discuss Nightmare Scenario. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, the COVID 19 pandemic has certainly changed the world, but the initial responses to the disease in the United States have come under crossfire. Joining us today to discuss their investigation into the Trump administration's handling of this issue is Mr. Damien Paletta. Mr. Paletta is the economics editor at the Washington Post and previously covered the White House for the, and the Wall Street Journal. Together with co author Yasmin Abutaleb, they have written the new book, Nightmare Scenario inside the Trump administration's response to the pandemic that changed history. Mr. Paletta, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, a fascinating book into how the Trump administration handled this pandemic. Curious how you both decided to work together. Sure. So my partner, Yasmin Abutalab, covers health policy here at The Post, and I'm the economics editor. And we thought we had a really unique vantage point in April 2020 when we started discussing the project because the health and economic tensions were so intense then. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of focus on the politics of this and the White House and President Trump. But we thought that, you know, a lot of these decisions were being driven by the, you know, the health and economic forces. And so we thought, you know, with our background and our vantage points, we could offer a really unique perspective to this. We also felt like the the sheer volume of news that was coming out every day would make it easy for people to lose the bigger picture and that this deserved a book. This crisis was so important that it deserved kind of the book treatment. And so that's how we got launched on it. You know, in the spring of 2020, we had no idea all the twists and turns that would take place as the year went on. But that was our initial goal. At that time, we were still deep in the woods. I mean, it was all still beginning. Get the sense that it would become quite the intriguing uh, story, I mean, in terms of how the Trump administration handled it all. Yeah, you know what was so interesting about it is as we made phone calls and spoke to people who were in the task force in the situation room, they were telling us, you know, you have no idea how bad it is. You know, you have no idea about the backstabbing and the pettiness and the the way that the scientists are being rebuked and threatened, and um, and so we felt like, wow, this isn't the kind of thing where everyone's in agreement that they did a good job or something. There's kind of open fire here among these, you know, top advisors, many of whom are, you know, public figures and who millions of Americans recognize. And that, I think, motivated us to even work harder to get to the bottom of this because they were so hostile towards each other. And we knew that if they weren't working together, the outcome could be disastrous. And in fact, it was, you know, they were constantly arguing over everything, whether it was masks or, you know, how to reopen states or, um, you know, how businesses should be operated and schools, obviously, as well. So um, we just felt like it was that much more important for us to get to the bottom of this because there was so much tension and infighting within the White House itself. I recall a statement from the, the book that you know, this would have been a challenging situation for any administration, but for this particular one, it was almost impossible. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we're dealing with a virus that was spread asymptomatically. So it was just so hard for anybody to be able to track it when there were people who could seem perfectly normal who were, in fact, sick and who could infect someone else who then could die, right, because the virus treated everyone differently. So it would have been a challenge no matter who was there. But when you have, you know, a White House that really didn't believe much in science to begin with, they were always several weeks behind in terms of recognizing how dangerous this was. And when they were all kind of arguing over every little decision, every single detail, it just made it impossible for them to come up with a good solution. And then when you layer on top of that, that the election was kind of barreling towards them as the year went on, you know, it really was a nightmare scenario, as the title suggests. The way it was viewed by the Trump administration is that this is a political issue, not really a social health crisis in a way. Right. In fact, President Trump initially really thought it was a public relations issue. He thought that if he could do more just to to um, breathe confidence into the American people, the stock market would go back up. That was his big fear initially. The stock market fell like 10,000 points in a couple weeks. He wanted the stock market to go back up and have people just believe that everything was going to be okay, that the fires would go away when they got warmer, that there were 15 people initially and they'd all get better soon. So once he realized that it, he couldn't just kind of spin his way out of this, they you know tried a whole bunch of different uh, tactics. And I think as Americans witnessed the White House you know, flopping and flailing from one approach to the next, they started to lose confidence that the White House knew what it was doing, and that just led to more public fear. So, you know, I think the fact that they were always arguing sometimes publicly about what the right course of action was, you know, kind of still haunts us. There's still Americans who don't agree on what we're dealing with, who don't agree on whether vaccines are the answer. You know, they kind of believe the person they want to believe. They watch the uh, cable news program they want to watch. And the fact that we can't kind of unify behind one um, set of facts about this virus is something that I think the seeds of, of were planted last year. In a way, is this surprising? I mean, this is not unique to this particular situation. And this is the way that this administration had handled most issues was uh, different groups within the White House pitted against each other, fighting with one another. And, and there was never really any consensus on any issue. Right. And I think what, one thing that President, President Trump was really good at was kind of spinning his way out of crises, you know, whether it was obviously when he was a, a businessman, he fought for bankruptcy, but he was able to always kind of spin his way out of it. And, and then um, the, when we have the, his first impeachment and obviously many crises in the White House in his first three years, he was able to get the public to almost kind of emerge confused about what has actually happened. And then there was another crisis that everyone got distracted and moved on to. COVID was different in that the virus wouldn't go away. No matter what the president said or did, the virus only got stronger. There was that brief brief period in May and early June um, 2020 when it did look like the virus was on the retreat. And that's when, you know, Vice President Pence famously wrote that editorial in the Wall Street Journal that said there will not be a second wave of the virus. I feel like the country really let their guard down around that time. People took their masks off. Everyone went back outside and gathered inside. And then the virus began that, you know, terrifying second wave, which kind of gave way to the third wave, which was just almost apocalyptic in November and December when thousands of people were dying each day. So no matter what the president did, the virus just never, you know, would go away. And um, that's something that I think he'd never confronted before, something that was almost more stubborn than him. It was essentially a fact of nature that he couldn't spin away. 
Right. And it, and it got to the point, obviously, that we all saw when the virus finally kind of sunk its teeth into him, tragically, you know, that, that weekend when he went to Walter Reed, he was in incredibly uh, precarious situation. He was in his mid-70s, um, you know, obviously overweight. He, he was the kind of person that COVID had killed thousands of times before. And he was given an experimental drug that saved his life, you know, thank goodness. Um, but it, at the same time, it, it just showed the virus was never was never kind of done with him and it was never done with the country. Now, he emerged from that kind of trying to tell people, look, I got sick. I got better. We can I beat this. We can beat this as a country. And it was kind of an inspirational message to send to folks. But at the same time, it was almost the wrong message to send to folks because it made people feel like, listen, this isn't that bad. You know, if Trump can beat it, we can all beat it. So everyone kind of let their guard down again. And that's when the virus really picked up speed was in, you know, late October. You know, we got to about 150,000 new cases a day. End of November, we're about 200,000 new cases a day. And then finally in January, we're about at 400 a thousand new cases a day. So the velocity of the virus from then on, from the moment he was sick, was just un unbelievable. And obviously just, you know, thousands and thousands of people died who maybe didn't have to. There's several reports of him realizing the severity of the disease. Yes, he knew that this disease was terrible, but he, he just didn't want it the public. Yeah, yeah. He, he said that several times. And actually, we found several cases where in private, he was quite concerned about the virus and told people, for example, to kind of stand far away from him. He didn't want to be too, you know, um, crowded upon in, in gatherings. But in public, he wanted to be a little bit more cavalier because he didn't, didn't want people to just lose hope. And I think, um, you know, for example, when he found out that Boris Johnson was sick, the British prime minister, he, and that Boris Johnson was going to be put on a ventilator, the president said, oh, man, that guy's a dead duck. You know, people, once they go on a ventilator, they don't come off. So he was aware of the lethality of this. But at the same time, you know, what people were hearing in public was that this was no big deal. It would go away. We shouldn't let the cure be worse than the disease. And I think that's the kind of the message that has stuck with him and that, has, that people still remember, you know, during those kind of dark days in 2020. On the flip side, though, he did oversee the remarkable development of vaccines, the Operation Warp Speed. Is, is that sort of odd to you that there are hits and misses? And Yeah, it's a great it's a great thing to point out. I mean, what, what was fascinating about Operation Warp Speed is that it was almost completely walled off from politics, whereas the you know coronavirus task force that met almost every day in the White House Situation Room was often, you know, just people pointing fingers at each other and blaming each other for mistakes and plotting against each other, Warp Speed almost had none of the politics. It was, you know, people who were just moving heaven and earth to do everything they could to get this virus not only developed, but produced in a mass, you know, number that could help hundreds of millions of Americans. And so I think it's a real testament to what the federal government can do when a bunch of people kind of lock arms to accomplish something. The, the fastest vaccine before this was developed in four years, and that was for mumps. And then you have a vaccine like this for an unknown disease, unknown origin, that's developed in less than a year, and three of them, in fact. So I think, you know, what they accomplished there almost shows us what they could have accomplished, you know, as a task force if they had been able to kind of take a lot of the politics out of it. You both interviewed a, a number of people for this book, their perspectives. What was the sense that you got of people trying to do the right thing, do the best thing for the public under these sorts of circumstances? Well, you know, it's a great question. I think obviously the doctors um, just, I think, are going to be haunted for the rest of their lives. A lot of them 
said they did everything they could. They don't defend the response at all, but they, they felt like they did their best. Um, and sometimes they had to bite their tongues in order to stay in the task force. They couldn't, you know, come out and, and just castigate everything the president was doing because they felt like if they did, they'd be fired and then they wouldn't be able to help at all. So there were people that kind of had to make these deals with the devil, deals, you know, in order to stay in the room and stay relevant. And I think a lot of those things haunt them because of how things really spiraled out of control. And no one we talked to, we talked to more than 180 people for this book, not a single one defends the government's response, which we thought was astounding. There's no one who believes this worked, no one who believes that even if they did the best they could. You know, some people defend their own uh, behavior and their own decisions, but no one de- defends the collective response. And we feel like that was a huge missed opportunity in a moment when the public needed the federal government to kind of rally and do what it is capable of doing, um, you know, it really kind of fell short. And, you know, this is a time when they need, the American people needed much more than that. Do you think that they've drawn lessons from this? Do you think that this whole episode has been instructive in some way in terms of how future administrations can handle this? Or is it? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people talked to us, because they wanted to pass along the lessons they learned. They wanted them to be kind of codified in one essentially document so that when there is another pandemic, which there will, of course, be, that they we won't kind of stumble through it like they did this one. And there's kind of several levels of this. One is obviously you need to have a public health um, apparatus for the federal government that has, you know, much more early warning signs about what's coming. You know, you can't be confused. You can't not know if masks work, you know, weeks and months into this kind of thing. You need to know what works, what doesn't work, so that people have good, clear information information out of the gate. But I think most fundamentally, what you need is trust. I mean, you need the people involved in this to trust each other. You know, you can't throw together a group of people who hate each other's guts because, you know, in a thing like the the White House, because then when there's a crisis, which there's always going to be some kind of crisis, those people are not going to work you know, hand in hand to try to solve it. And so this is a situation with the coronavirus task force and even the White House at the time, the fourth year of the Trump presidency, when almost everyone hated each other's guts, no one trusted each other. And that just made it impossible. It was an impossible dynamic for the response. And, you know, it started off bad and it only got worse as the year went on. That led to a breakdown of trust between the public and the government and no, and it, and it haunts us to this day, I think. You know, I think one of the reasons a lot of Americans, millions of Americans have been hesitant or reluctant to get a vaccine is because they're hearing one thing from one person and something else from someone else. And and I think when you don't have trust in, you know, the CDC or the FDA or you're hearing one thing from a governor and something else from Dr. Fauci, you, you just don't know who to believe or you believe who you want to believe. And, you know, this isn't public health should not be the kind of thing like where you get to pick and choose what you do. You should be able to know what works and what doesn't work and what's safe and what's unsafe and kind of follow those instructions. And I think the problems that were created last year are problems that we're still dealing with and why the pandemic you know, rages on. Well, do you think uh, the Biden administration that at least was handled relatively reasonably? 
Well, you know, I think the Biden administration deserves credit for how quickly they vaccinated so many people. The, the Trump administration really didn't have a good plan. You know, they got the vaccine developed, but they didn't have a good plan in terms of the rollout and the implementation of it. So the Biden administration did do a ton initially to get shots in arms. I mean, it's, you know, more than 100 million people were vaccinated within a matter of months. It's, it's just incredible. I think where the Biden administration, you know, made some mistakes is they began to overpromise uh, you know, early. I think President Biden kind of famously said that by the 4th of July, we'll be able to have these parties together and, you know, have some semblance of normality. And I think obviously he couldn't anticipate the Delta variant coming to the United States, but he almost set up this false hope and did lead people to put their guards down and put their masks away. And then, you know, here we go again. Um, obviously, these breakthrough cases of the virus where people are getting sick who have been vaccinated are, you know, really tragic. But at the same time, those people aren't for the most part, aren't getting that sick, which is great. Um, the, you know, the real problem has been the millions and millions of people who are not getting vaccinated and are getting sick and then are, you know, packing ICUs and hospitals and overwhelming hospitals. Again, I, I just can't believe when we were writing this book, I couldn't fathom that we were going to be in this kind of scenario again. So, you know, the Biden administration, Biden administration still has their hands full. They've done some things well. They've kind of fallen short in some other areas. But, you know, we thought that their legacy would be kind of moving the country beyond the virus. And right now it looks like they're kind of stuck in the middle of it, just like President Trump was. Uh, hopefully learning to not make the same mistakes as well. Exactly. Yeah, we hope so. They're, they're working hard, but they've got their work cut out for them. And the closer we get to the fall and the winter, the more nervous I get about how, how things can get out of control. So let's hope that, you know, this Delta variant burns it out on its own or the, the vaccine numbers come up quickly, because I don't think we all any of us want to be in a situation where we have a winter like we had in the winter of 2020. So the situation is certainly still ongoing. What are your impressions then of Trump administration's response? Had anything been different differently? This, uh, would things have been different? As a journalist, there's, you know, you, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt a lot. And there is a fog of war element to this. I mean, this was a crazy virus that, that had no modern day precedent. Um, you know, Ebola is one thing, you know, it's a very infectious disease, but it's it, when you, when diseases are transmitted among people with symptoms, it is easier to quarantine and kind of trap them, essentially. But COVID was much different. It was just moving so fast, and we were always several weeks behind it. So in a sense, you kind of have to acknowledge that the Trump administration really had an impossible challenge. On the other hand, you know, there were so many missed opportunities that that really – it's hard to forgive. I mean, the fact that there was this huge misinformation campaign, often within the White House about masks, I think is something that will, you know, be a horrible legacy for the Trump administration. And then the way that things got so politically divisive and how the country cleaved in two and how masks became such a political issue as the year went on, uh, you know, I think is a huge, you know, problem as well. And we're seeing that even today with schools and things like that. There's still such a big argument about it. So I think they could have done better. Um, I think in some cases they did the best they could. In other cases, they did, you know, amazing work on Operation Warp Speed. But, you know, on net, I think there was so many missed opportunities that led to a lot of heartache, anguish, and unfortunately, death. We were just talking with Damien Paletta. He, together with co-author Yasmin Abutaleb, have the new book, Nightmare Scenario, Inside the Trump Administration's Response to the Pandemic that Changed History. Mr. Paletta, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Thank you. 
and that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Thank you.